Hey, y'all. So we're on day eight. We are on day eight of these 12-hour days um, occupying downtown Winston at Bailey Park, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day. Um, Why are we out there? That's a phenomenal question. (laughs) And that's part of why we're here talking about it, because I think one of the things that has been, you know, a little bit difficult for us is like making sure people understand what the message is. Right. right? Even though we're putting out these press releases every day, people are not reading. No, they are not (laughs) reading. So we said, thank you. We will have another method of sharing with you why we're out there. Um, so we are Triad Abolition Project and Unity Coalition hosting this downtown occupation. Um, you want to jump in and explain what Triad Abolition Project is? Yeah. So my name is Hannah. I'm with Triad Abolition Project. And we started out with a long-term vision of abolishing the prison industrial complex in our community. And we are kind of working on some immediate needs in that realm right now in terms of our demands for this occupation. And so, yeah, that's kind of where our focus is right now. But we seek to educate our community around abolition and find ways to imagine what that could look like for us. Molly, you want to jump in about Unity Coalition? Yeah. Um, and so the Unity Coalition is um, fairly new as well and um, more or less just devoted toward um, amplifying and uplifting a lot of specific missions and um, initiatives that other groups in Winston-Salem are putting forth um, in order to try to get more eyes and ears on those initiatives, mm-hmm. to plug in volunteers um, and new emerging or, you know, established activists um, trying to get them working together for specific initiatives. In this case, um, it's Triad Abolition Project yeah. and um, seeking justice for John Neville and other incarcerated individuals um, stuck in the prison industrial complex. Um, and we're just here with you guys partnering to make sure that your demands, which have become our demands, <laughs> um, are met and that you guys aren't doing it alone, but doing it with us and um, and any other organizations that want to be involved. Yeah. So I think we dive in first with what the demands are. Um, we have a list of four demands. Um, one of them is closely tied to questions that we're demanding be answered by Sheriff Bobby Kimbrough and, um, Forsyth County DA Jim O'Neill. Um, those lists of questions are available a lot of places. They're mostly around policy changes, why there have not been certain policy changes, what actually happened the night that, um, John Neville was, um, having a medical emergency and was an event- eventually hogtied um, and left for 45 minutes while in a in a emergency situation um, in the Forsyth County Detention Center, which for anyone that does not know is right here in Winston Salem, um, right between Third and Fourth Street, or sorry, Second and Third Street. So those questions really need to be answered. They're reasonable questions. They're very reasonable questions. We want to know. Um, we also are asking what is the conflict of interest, the potential conflict of interest between um, the attorney for the estate of John Neville's family, who is Mike Grace, um, who has a law firm here in Winston-Salem with two partners. Um, So he represents the estate of John Neville's, and he also represents the sheriff department. And we think that's a little, you know... That's tricky, right? It's a little tricky. It's a little tricky. So we're trying to get answers to, you know, 
these fundamental questions. If you want to read the list of questions, there are several because we think that transparency is really important in the path to justice. Um, they're on triadabolitionproject.org. They have been published in Yes Weekly and other media outlets. We have been calling the sheriff's office maybe every other day list reading the demands or reading those questions on the voicemail. So that's the first demand. Um, also too, we're noticing that um, in what little response, relatively little response that we're getting from Kimbrough um, and O'Neill, um, they really are twisting our words around. Yeah. They're not, yes. um, if, if they have actually read our demands, they're certainly not giving us any indication that they've actually paid attention to the details that right. we have sent them. They're putting words in our mouth and twisting the narrative, um, you know, making accusations that we're going against the family's wishes, that we've been requesting the video. And so one of the reasons we're here right now and have been um, in, in the last several days is trying to correct the false narrative that we are in any way demanding to see or share um, the video of what happened with John Neville, that we are in any way... Um, asking questions that are not deeply researched, um, right. making any claims that are not deeply researched. So one of the things that people aren't aware is that we do have a research team that have been right. working very hard and very long hours to look into yes. the claims that we are making and the demands that we are making. Our right. claims are actually so well researched that we can't get people to read the entirety of the research <laughs> in our press releases right. to know what we're asking for. Yeah. Um, at this point, I could probably recite the entire timeline of the John Neville case to yeah. you, including the whole hullabaloo with SB 168, which yeah. is another interesting piece of our questioning is like, so there was an article that came out recently in the Winston-Salem Journal that um, asserted that no one, like none of the local officials communicated with um, basically state legislature asking for SB 168. But that still doesn't really clarify because it doesn't have to be a local official that asked for that in order to keep records private. So just quickly for anyone that doesn't know, SB 168 was a piece of legislation that included within it a clause that would make any medical investigations around uh, death of a person who was incarcerated, they would make all of that investigation confidential. That's what SB 168 was set to do. Um, it was passed by the North Carolina state legislator basically in the middle of the night. We actually had a state legislator, legislator admit that they had less than two minutes to read the final bill before they voted on it. Um, and so then activists who went hard in Raleigh for eight days occupied the governor's mansion on his lawn. Some were arrested, um, pushing for the governor to veto that um, piece of legislation, which he eventually did. And it was the day after that we found out these um, really important details about what happened in John Neville's case um, and that the charges were filed against the five correction officers and the one nurse who were involved in mm -hmm. his hog tying um, and the circumstances that led up to him falling into a coma and eventually dying um, two days later. So yes, the getting rid of SB 168 was super important, but also we need to know why the hell SB 168 was on the table in the first place. And what does that, and you know, it's, it's a little bit too much of a coincidence, the timeline associated with how it was passed, when it was passed and what was happening in the John Neville case at that time. Well, so quick clarification about SB 168. Um, I've seen a lot of people assert that it doesn't change anything, that it's just keeping the same confidentiality that these medical records in terms of like deaths for incarcerated folks. Basically, people are saying it doesn't change anything. It's just asking they remain confidential. But that is a change. 
Typically, they become public once they hit the medical examiner's right. office, mm-hmm. and then they're public record. But yeah. this would make them never public record. Right. And what the med- like the state level medical examiner said was they wanted to that they proposed that DHHS as a department wanted this language included in the bill because it would make law enforcement officers more likely to share these records when it's already their legal obligation to, to do share so. The records, right. Um, if they knew that they weren't going to become public. But then when she was asked in an interview by the News and Observer what cases it had made it difficult to obtain records for because she was saying it was keeping records private and they weren't able to find the cause of death soon enough, mm-hmm. she couldn't name a single case in which mm-hmm. that was the, that was true. Right. Yeah. So there's clearly some issues Shady there. Shady shit. Just, uh, Shady just shit. in general. <laughs> and then with the timeline, it's, as you said, it's so clear because, um, so Bobby Kimbrough requested a State Bureau of, of Investigation investigation in December, the day after John Neville passed away. That investigation wrapped up in April. Yeah. And then there, it was radio silence until July, until right. SB 168 was vetoed. Right. So you, you can't deny that timeline. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so then the second, so this is all around the first demand that we Mm -hmm. have, and we want these questions that are super, again, very reasonable questions, you know. We're not asking anyone to release their personal taxes. We're saying, can you answer these questions about how someone lost their life while they were in your custody? Mm -hmm. You know, that's a basic thing. And if there's nothing to hide, then you can answer these questions, right? Very confusing why they haven't come forth and answered every single question right right away if they have nothing to hide. It doesn't make any sense. So our second demand is around a policy change that we're calling for. Really, we want policy changes that are, you know, anything relevant to what happens when people go into medical distress while they're incarcerated, but primarily to ban the hogtie restraint. So I have said this many times. If a dog was hogtied the way that John Neville was hogtied, the way that Marcus Smith was hogtied in Greensboro right down the street and he lost his life as well, you know, people would be up in arms. Mm -hmm. We cannot hogtie human beings. Mm -hmm. There should be no circumstances under which that is ever acceptable, that is ever used by law enforcement or anyone at, at any time, any county official at any time. And that's a very reasonable demand as well. Can you please not hogtie people anymore? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. there's really, I, I can't imagine any answer other than right. yes. I mean, <laughs> and especially <laughs> when he was, he was having a medical emergency, right? So he fell off his bunk, was having a med- medical emergency. Why that's the tactic to use when someone's having that experience is just, you know, beyond anything that it's makes illogical. sense. It's illogical. It doesn't and make sense. And then he was also placed into a cell for medical observation on his own. Why does he need to be restrained to be alone in a cell to be observed? For 45 minutes. For 45 minutes. Right, right. So then the second, or excuse me, the third demand is around um, transparency. When these types of things happen, we don't want them to ever happen again. We don't want any person who's incarcerated in the detention center here or any detention center to lose their life. But if that happens, we need transparency. Yeah. We need to be notified as the public. These are our tax dollars that are being used to fund these detention centers, to pay the salaries of these correctional officers. So we have to be notified when things happen, when you know what is essentially a murder takes place inside the detention center, we should know, mm-hmm. right? And that sounds reasonable to me, yeah. y'all. Like, well, so the sheriff's reasoning for not notifying us immediately—he—he's kind of mixing two different reasons together. One being respecting the family's mm-hmm. wishes that they asked him not to. 
He's really standing on that hard. And then second of all, he said to the Winston-Salem Journal that, for instance, in any other officer involved, like a shooting, for instance, he would notify the public immediately. But he said this was different because he didn't know the cause of death of John Neville on December the 5th. Um, However, he was noted in the autopsy report to have been represented at the autopsy. So... And what's the date on the autopsy, Hannah? December the 5th, December 5th. one day after right. John Neville died. Right. Mm-hmm. And so charges were not filed until July 7th, yep. right? And mm-hmm. so that's a big problem. Well, and that's his reasoning is that the autopsy wasn't concluded until July. But I personally, I say he could have said this death occurred and we have launched an investigation. Right. That is that the time. that is the correct thing to do. Mm-hmm. To and the other the thing know. is there's video mm-hmm. of this, right? So there's video of what happened in the detention center. And I've said this before and I will say mm-hmm. it again and probably many times after this. I'm not a medical examiner. I do not have a medical degree, but it does not I don't think that it takes a medical degree to determine that if someone loses consciousness, mm-hmm as a result of being hogtied, mm-hmm. that it's pretty likely their death is direct, directly related to yes. that, those circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so for these um, correctional officers and nurse to not be put on administrative leave, yes. for yes. no announcement to be made about what happened, I mean, it's pretty clear. Yeah, you didn't announce it because you knew that they killed this man, mm-hmm. right? And then one of them received a raise 40 days after yes. right. the death of John Neville. Right. A merit-based raise. Yeah. A merit-based raise after killing a man. Yeah. Right? And, you know, we all, many of us saw the press conference where Bobby Kimbrough stood up and said these were good people who, they murdered yeah. a man. Good people who did made a bad, bad choice and so a good man died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the the rhetoric around... The whole thing is alarming, yes. to say the least. Yes. Alarming, yeah, alarming. The avoidance um, of any sort of responsibility, or just in just evading the onus of having to make any sort of statements, yeah. um, aside from ones that benefit their their own image, exactly. um, in mm-hmm. no way even interested in having the conversation. And in fact, I do want to bring up, um, you know, I I find it very shocking that he's um, so uninterested in even having a conversation with us. Yeah, and he has made. You know, statement saying, Oh, please, you know where my office is. Call, yeah. make an appointment and come. Well, first of all, we've been calling and right. we're not getting any sort of response mm. on any level, whether it's exactly. to make an appointment or to talk. But generally, we don't need, we're not going to him. Yeah. He knows where we are. We have been there for eight days, exactly 12 hours a day. He knows yeah. exactly where we are. And if he wants to have a conversation with us, he can come. We didn't kill a man. We didn't so yeah, we don't have to kill a man. owe a conversation. And, yeah, we don't owe him anything. Right. But he definitely owes owes the public, owes this community, and owes those who are asking him directly, sir, please answer our questions. Yeah. The uh, minimal respect of not um, trying to flip the script, trying to make us look foolish, and specifically trying only to save face. The only comments Mm -hmm. he is making is to make himself look better. There is absolutely no interest in having a dialogue about what could improve, what needs to improve, even just a little bit of effort saying, you know what, you're right, some things need to change, let's talk about it, yeah. would be something. But instead, he is so worried about his own reputation, yeah. in no way interested in having even an exploratory conversation. Yeah. When and then of, and then Jim O'Neill is just ignoring us. Radio silence <laughs> so the, and insulting the, us in the press. <laughs> right. The district attorney is repeatedly insulting us in the press, threatening to prosecute protesters. Mm-hmm in the same sentence as talking about prosecuting the people who killed John Neville, throwing us all into one bag yep. as if peaceful protesters who are em- 
exercising our de- democratically protected rights to protest mm-hmm. are the same as someone who took a man's life. I mean, it's amazing to me. Yeah, it's so interesting too. this like continued narrative that happens. I mean, all the time and has always been, you know, and is certainly um, being upheld by O'Neill and Kimber right now. But this like forced rhetoric um, painting protesters as like ignorant, <laughs> yeah. lazy, don't have jobs, looking for a reason <laughs> to protest, us, calling us shit stars, yeah, right. like calling us actual names, name calling adult citizens right. who are not that it matters, not yeah. that it matters, but educated, not right. that it matters, not that it matters, right. not that it matters, but who, whom you know are are community leaders, yeah. um, academics, yeah. <laughs> um, um, professionals, and otherwise, yeah. and just but more importantly, citizens, right. constituents, right, and, and Bobby voters in, in, in the in their case, their their constituents, right. Um, and 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 calling us, you know, insinuating that we're like rabble rousers, right. that we're like these, you know, um, vagabonds with nothing better to do but right. then to shit stir. And it's right. like, no, you know, you are absolutely choosing. It's a tactic yeah. to yes. try to tell people not to listen to the the crazies on the block. Yeah. Um, not understanding that civil disobedience has been a very important um, tactic for important change in this movement and others yeah. um, for a very, very long time. Um, and in fact, I've, you know, there have been a number of um, occupiers who've been down there sitting with us who have talked about, you know, the irony of us being just a couple blocks away from a little city plaque talking about the sit-ins mm-hmm. yeah. and talking about like, you know, civil right. disobedience obedience that have like led to you know pride and blah 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 for this city and and the other areas and they're literally on the same block or in the same you know two to three block radius um calling names for peaceful protesters who are making informed demands asking informed questions um choosing to prioritize this over their professional work their family obligations um because it's that important right and instead of listening for example to that um, and to the, again, the well pieced together words that we are bringing to the table, um, especially Triad Abolition Project, the work that you guys have been doing to put into this research. Um, but also the fact that we have all of these community members, um, academics, community leaders coming to speak at our occupation every day mm-hmm. to bring us donations, to bring us food, to sit, um, cross-legged with the occupiers and teach them about these issues yeah. and choose to spend long hours with us in the biggest heat wave of the year so yeah. far, you yeah. know? Um, and, and, and they're not calling us crazy. Yeah. They're not, they understand that this is, these, you know, peacefully protesting and doing something like an occupation isn't some sort of harebrained publicity stunt. It is a tactic to get these elected leaders who are being cagey yeah. to feel pressure to respond. And so far, they're doing crickets. Yeah. I mean, my favorite, um, you know, insult towards us has been the folks, and this includes black leadership, who mm. have said we're looking for five minutes of fame. <laughs> and I'm just like... Uh, no (laughs) there are many other things i could do for five minutes of fame that don't require me to be in the sun for 12 hours a day so or you know meeting until midnight or to don't risk people's livelihood right right so you know if anyone thinks that this is beneficial individually to one of to any of us in any way please come down there and sit out there for two hours right and that one and i'm glad that you bring that up because just in general 
if anyone who is interested now understand that when we're down there we're also working right yeah. like we're mm-hmm. having meetings we're planning strategy we're you know gosh half of us are sitting there with our laptops on working. our lap yeah. working and doing research and making connections like the connection we made with the North Carolina ACLU right. um, and others which we should talk about in a minute yeah. <laughs> but I think um, you know but at the same time, if people, you know, are unclear about what we are talking about or, you know, if the font in our it's graphics about our demands is too small <laughs> and you want to come down on your lunch break, we provide lunch every day for yeah. whoever is there. We, we provide dinner every night for, for who is there. Um, we have uh, uh, representatives from other organizations, other academic programs, um, other initiatives come down whenever they're able to and sit and talk with our occupiers and present um, educational opportunities uh, for their initiatives or about what they do or whatever topics they're experts on related to the movement, not just abolition, not just um, what we are talking about with the prison industrial complex, but mm-hmm. things in general. And if people you know, think for whatever reason that this is just some silly show. They should come down and see the sort of community that we are building. Yeah. Talk to the kids that have been there for eight days, 12 hours a day, and sit there and they're writing letters to Kimbra. They're writing letters, you know, to city officials. Yeah. Um, making phone calls. Making phone calls. Um, helping um, other community members feel really welcome. Yeah. They're, um, gosh, playing catch in downtime, right. you know, in their downtime. Um running errands for us and and also just talking to us um it's it's really you know it's more than a protest and and they keep calling it that it's more than a protest it's an occupation and it's also an educational teaching um that's really what it is and it's not just about educational topics but it's also about community it's a community teaching we're teaching we're we're leading by example and showing that building community of trust and communication and well-informed information is a really great way to start making, you know, our own good trouble here for people who are, are sort of new to doing that. And so let's jump to our last demand quickly. So yeah. if, for those of you who don't know, there have been 20 arrests in mm-hmm. Winston-Salem of peaceful protesters um, over the past couple weeks. Five of us were arrested, including myself, on mm-hmm. July 8th. Um, and then another 15 were arrested on July 9th um, who engaged in an act of civil disobedience. Um, we all were arrested right outside of the detention or, excuse me, right outside of the public safety building, which is where the sheriff's office is um, located, mm-hmm. right next to the Forsyth County Detention Center where they murdered John Neville. Where he has a live cut out of himself in the lobby, just inserting right. so, that. So <laughs> um, we, our fourth demand is that we, those charges be dismissed. So um, DA Jim O'Neill, where are you on this? Um, peaceful protesters in the city have been engaged in direct actions for weeks. For weeks, um, the law enforcement here rode their bicycles alongside of us. They were invited to speak at protests. Um, Chief Katrina Thompson stood up and cried at several protests, um, you know, in whatever show of solidarity she thought that was. And then this same law enforcement agency turned around and met protesters with an LRAD, which for anyone who does not know is a long range acoustic device that can cause deafness, permanent ear, uh, permanent hearing injuries for protesters. It's a violent, um, tool violent machine that's used to quelch Black Lives Matter protests and other types of protests around the country often. Um, they met us with that device. They met us with pepper spray. They met us with bags of zip ties. 
all of these pictures of these things are published in the Winston-Salem Journal. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to take any of our words for it. I was out there. I saw it with my own eyes. But media were out there. Triad City Beat was out there. Mm -hmm. Fox 8 News, for anyone who trusts Fox more, was out there, right? Um, Yes Weekly was out there. These places were live streaming what happened. And it's clear from pictures um, that... They were intentionally using this as an intimidation tactic against people who were speaking out, engaging our rights to protest. And it was, in my view, a direct result of the fact that we were now moving to protest and focus our attention on what happened with John Mm -hmm. Neville. And so no longer were we pointing our fingers outside of the city at Minneapolis at with George Floyd or at Louisville with Breonna Taylor. We were talking about something that happened in Winston-Salem in Forsyth County, and they were afraid of that. And so they were trying to intimidate us off of the street Mm -hmm. um, to silence us, to make us, you know, afraid to continue to speak out Mm -hmm. to try to use my professional career against me Mm -hmm. to use the professional careers Mm -hmm. of other people against them Mm -hmm. and so they really kicked it off right on july 8th with arresting us and taking us again into the same detention center where their employees had just murdered a man in december right and then july 9th the following night 15 community members who were among a group of about 40 of us who were gathered outside of the public safety building decided no more Mm -hmm. we're not going to stand for peaceful protesters being criminalized and they use an action of civil disobedience that has been a tried and true tactic that the folks that everyone loves to sentimentalize like dr king like john lewis like all the brothers and sisters that were in SCLC, right? All of those people who have been arrested many times engaging in acts of civil disobedience, the same thing happened here. And again, Molly, to your point, with the sit-ins, right? Mm -hmm. Right down the street. That was an act of civil Mm -hmm. disobedience. That was illegal at that time. And so we have to keep those things in mind. So we're demanding that all of those charges be dismissed. And keep in mind, folks, we were charged with impeding traffic, right? It's a traffic offense um, that has been that's being used to criminalize us. Yeah. Um, if you look at the videos from that July eighth incident, <laughs> they were blocking. No one was blocking <laughs> yeah. traffic except Winston Salem Police except Department police. vehicles and officers and their, and their bodies. Right, their, bodies. Their, their bodies and their vehicles were the ones blocking traffic. Mm-hmm. No one stopped traffic on that evening. Mm-hmm. So those charges need to be dismissed. Jim O'Neill, you are not off the hook, mm-hmm. right? You are. You know, you've seen our signs. You know what we're saying to you as well. And those charges need to be dismissed. Your office needs to step up and do the right thing when it comes to citizens who are demanding transparency and justice, which according to, you know, y'all, you stand for as well. So do the right thing here. Let's see it in action. Mm -hmm. Right. So if we want to just quickly talk about the connections that we've now made with the ACLU. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we... We reached out to the ACLU of North Carolina online, and luckily they've been very receptive and are now monitoring everything that's going on with the occupation and surrounding news on social media. And um, we're speaking with them to kind of strategize moving forward, and they've offered their help in the form of any kind of support that they're able to offer us in terms of strategy. And so that's been really helpful and meaningful to us. And so, again, for anyone that thinks we're just out here willy-nilly, the ACLU would not be on board. They would not be paying attention. They would not be monitoring this case. The New York Times would not have written a story on John Neville's case if we were just out here, you know, on some BS, you know. This is 
this is real. You need to know what's happening in your city. A lot of people do not know. Mm-hmm. Please read the press releases from Triad Abolition yes. Project. You can find them, triadabolitionproject.org slash press releases. Right. They're yes. all Please there. read the New York Times article. Please look at, you know, the things that the um, ACLU has been reposting. Yeah. And come out. Come like down. Molly said, come Be down. With us. There's many people who will sit and have a conversation, yes. answer any questions you have. Mm-hmm. We are not the boogeymen down there. We are, you know, down <laughs> Quite pleasant, I would say. Right. Having, you know, playing music. Offer you food and water. Very friendly. Exactly. We actually had a counter protester that was (laughs) offered lunch from one of our organizers and what just seemed like he was shocked that that was happening. But that's, you know, we had another counter and an antagonizer who was very upset at our presence um, just three short days ago. And the last two days he's been occupying with us. We turned him over. He came came and apologized (laughs) to the group for his behavior and now has been participating in the occupation. So I think what we're doing is important work. Mm -hmm. Um, We need support. So we know that everyone can't be on the ground at an occupation, especially in this heat, Mm -hmm. especially in the middle of COVID, Mm -hmm. although we're taking a lot of precautions around COVID. We all remain masked throughout the day, except when we're eating. We will wipe down things with sanitizer. I just had everyone wipe down the tables Mm -hmm. and our coolers. Um, We have hand sanitizer. We have disinfectant. We're social distancing. We're outside. So we're taking that very seriously. But nevertheless, we know that not everyone can be out there. So we need folks making signs. Mm -hmm. We need folks doing research. Sharing our demands. Share, share, share. Amplifying what's going on. Contacting. Right. (laughs) Contacting. Jim O'Neill, yes. contacting Bobby Kimbrough, contacting Katrina Thompson, contacting Alan Joins. All of these people need to hear that citizens from this community, from mm-hmm. Winston, from Forsyth County are standing with us. You know, you can't just support us in private. It has to be mm-hmm. public support as well. Yeah. So if you need more information about how to support, if you want to make a financial donation, mm-hmm. if you want to bring oranges, we are taking whatever you want to bring. <laughs> taking Except water. No water. We have plenty of water. We're fine on bottles. We're good water. on water. <laughs> thank goodness. Yeah. yeah, thank goodness. Yeah, we do need it, but we've got so yeah. much of it. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to just stress again, even though we've said it, but, um, you know, in addition to obviously the the focus on, uh, for the occupation, the reason that we are there has to do with the Neville case, has to do with this transparency and these demands that we are making. That is the specific reason why we are there. Um, we do, you know, want to stress that, a, a you know, we have 12 hours every single day to kill. So we are really trying to emphasize, particularly in the after office hours periods of the night from five o'clock on really trying to emphasize um, education um, and the the need for also focusing on policy on on people um, you know moving um, not just in occupations or protests but moving um, for change in other uh, more sustainable ways so that includes you know people who um, yeah like we're protesting and being on occupations doesn't fit uh, to their 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 COVID priorities and um, which are very important their um, um, uh, financial or vocational responsibilities, family responsibilities. We totally understand that. We are going live just about every time we have a speaker um, or any kind of educational moment. Look um, at Triad Abolition Project on Instagram, Unity Coalition on Instagram, Normalize Action on Instagram. Um, 
at any given time, one of us is probably live if there is something to go live about. Mm -hmm. And those things, you know, can last five minutes. Sometimes it's 10 minutes. Sometimes it's 20 minutes. Um, but they are opportunities to hear what some of these leaders um, and academics who are coming in to teach us some stuff are doing. If you are able to carve out an hour or five or 10 um, <laughs> to come and hang out with us, um, you know, we have books on site. We have conversations happening. Um, we have, you know, organization leaders and educators popping in unannounced to, mm -hmm. you know, impromptu do a little speaking. Um, so there's lots of things to learn about. And the emphasis there is plugging in for future action or for work that has to do with policy, for work that has to do with sustainable change. And just as a separate plug, um, it's, it's part, it's partly connected with the Unity Coalition, but there is a project called Normalize Action, which does specifically have to do, um, with non-black, um, and brown folk, uh, trying to educate themselves to figure out where best they can plug in, um, for sustained action and also for education, um, and, 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 uneducation. Um, and so I think that's, that's a resource that we want to push as well. Um, and in general, not just for, you know, white folk out there, but in, in general, there are a number of resource learning resources associated with, um, that platform, the unity coalition and normalize action, um, to sort of explore training oneself or doing some self-education on specific topics and issues on specific action areas so that you can, go into the local organizations that already exist, the local initiatives that already exist, and uh, go into volunteering and spending time with them with a little bit more um, of an informed foundation, I suppose. But come down and learn about those things um, because we need all the people and bodies we can have to help um, these demands get met. Um, and it's wonderful to sort of tilt, like, you know, focus on two things at once, like, focusing on these demands while simultaneously preparing yourself for further action um, in areas that that can be sustained by you yeah so i said you know a few times that joy is paramount mm. to the movement we close every um evening with a vigil or a grounding type of activity um we have drummers out there a lot of times mm. but we're really just like you know, as Molly said, building this community, connecting to each other. And so come out and join us. As I say, every morning when I greet everyone and every evening when I leave, we love y'all. Mm -hmm. I love y'all. Mm -hmm. We're doing this for the community. We're doing this because we, you know, care about the community. We want things to be different. So I hope that this has given y'all some better perspective about what's going on, what's happening. Again, come out and talk to us um, if you want to know more. Appreciate y'all. Yeah, love you. Love you. Thank you. And share. Help us help, us help you. Amplify. Yeah. Thank you. Peace.